The scripture reading this evening will be taken from the book of Haggai, chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. If you're using one of the Red Pew Bibles, that can be found on page 791. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by, by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panel houses, and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Obviously, I'm not John this evening, and as you were expecting, as I was, the final installment of the three-part series of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, you'll be left with a cliffhanger tonight because I'm not going to pick that one up. I'll let him handle that. He says he'll pick it up uh, in April, and I uh, look forward to that. Uh, he won't be able to be with us next Sunday because he'll be gone to Mexico to visit our missionaries. And so be praying for that trip, uh, for his safety and those that are going with him. I know some of our Mexico missionary committee will be going as well. Uh, so pray for that as well as his health as he leads up to uh, that the, uh, trip this weekend. I imagine that at least on some level, it could be said that each and every one of us are lazy at least in some area of our life. Now, some of you may recoil at that. I know Coach Bruno's looking at me. He's, I can almost see him bristling up because he's like probably the least lazy person I know, right? The idea is in some area of our life, every one of us leaves something undone. And often that can be attributed to the idea of laziness. But laziness in and of itself is not necessarily, as we'll talk about, maybe the disease as much as it is the symptom of the disease. As you see on the screen behind me, you can kind of imagine laziness being leaving some tools out in the rain and them eventually becoming really rusty. And laziness isn't really what caused you to leave those tools in the rain as much as apathy about whether or not those tools were taken care of were left out in the rain. Now, apathy is usually a, a result of sometimes those things not being yours. Maybe you left your granddad's tools out in the rain like I did one time, right? And those ended up being rusty. But now as I've gotten older and I care more about my tools, the, the tools that I have purchased, the tools that I want to take care of, the tools that I'll have to keep dealing with later on down the road, apathy has rooted itself out of my life in the sense that I care about those tools. And so therefore, I'm not going to be lazy about leaving those things out in the rain. And so if we're to differentiate between laziness and apathy, I would suggest this evening that, as we said, laziness is ultimately the symptom of the disease that is apathy. Apathy in and of itself is simply just maybe not caring or things not mattering to you. As you think about the idea of apathy, as you think about the problem of, of people in this world not caring about certain things, maybe you struggle in your life sometimes with whether or not you should care about anything, about anything at all, or maybe even the things that you know are important, but yet you still struggle to care about them. I want us to turn in our Bibles this evening to the book of Haggai, 
The book of Haggai is the third to last book in the Old Testament. You'll remember, as you just sang and kids sang it just a few moments ago, the last, third to last book in, in your Old Testament. But go ahead and open up your Bibles there to set the scene by way of a remembrance of what's going on in the book of Haggai, because I know we don't turn here often. You'll recall perhaps in around 536 to 538 B.C., that Cyrus, king of Persia, allowed some of the leftover uh, Jews, leftover Hebrews that had been taken away into Babylonian captivity to return back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And you can re- read about that in, in the book of Ezra, particularly where we come into the book of Haggai, uh, you see what's happened before Haggai in chapters one through four of the book of Ezra. And you recall that they get back to Jerusalem and they begin to rebuild the city. They begin to rebuild the, the temple. And ultimately what happens is they meet some opposition by the people of the land and they begin to make fun of them and they begin to give them a hard time. And then ultimately the rebuilding of the temple stops. It ceases. And it doesn't just cease in the sense that, well, they, they, they got distracted from it. But what we find is that they leave the things that they should have been doing left undone for some 16 years. Some 16 years, the temple is left lying in ruin. And so as we think about the idea of apathy and we begin to open up our Bibles again to the book of Haggai, the third to last book in the Old Testament, turn with me there and notice how it is that we can acknowledge or at least identify some symptoms of apathy. We'll notice some symptoms of apathy among these people in that day, having left this temple left unbuilt or rebuilt for some 16 years. Consider with me some symptoms of apathy. Number one, let's begin reading verse number two. Let's begin reading verse number one. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Three areas I want us to identify or some areas in which we can maybe even apply into our own lives that might reveal to us symptoms of apathy in our own life. Number one, notice that there was constant justification from these people. These people say, you know what that tells me? In their mind, they were identifying the fact that there was something left undone in their life. The fact that they were justifying the fact that it was left undone at least meant to some degree that they recognized that those things should have been done by now, but yet they were justifying the fact that their inaction was okay. And yet we know it surely was not. And so as you think about this constant justification, is that something that maybe is present in your life? Do you find ways to make excuses for what is left undone, what should have already been done by now? But not only that, do we see constant justification, but we also see continual procrastination. Notice what it said, the time has not yet come. The time has not yet come. When you think about how long, as we mentioned a moment ago, for some 16 years, they had left these things undone, the question must be asked, well, how long until the time really must come? You know, sometimes we think about the passing of time. Oftentimes, as, as those of us that are raising children, the passing of time is marked very often by our children's age. 
It's crazy to me to think about the fact <clears throat> that Clara is older now, or just about the same age, if not older, than Jackson was when we moved here. That's, that's just crazy how fast time moves with, with regard to our children. Now, think about how long these people had been there. They've been there some 16 years. It's Clara graduating high school from now. That's how long they've been in that place, how long that they should have already been taking time to do the things that they should have been doing. It's as if a child that had been born as they had arrived there could now get a driver's license to go out and get a horse to drive the horse around, to carry the stones around, to build the temple like they should have been building it. That's how long they've been sitting around not doing the things that they should have been doing. Continual procrastination. You know, sometimes we can put something off a day or a week and still say, well, it really still matters to me. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. But oftentimes we put things off for a year. How could we really say that if we put something off for 16 years that it really matters to me? Ultimately, what is communicating when there's continual procrastination is I am apathetic about that thing. I'm apathetic about it. It doesn't matter. I don't care. How long until the Lord's house should have been rebuilt at this point already? They're saying the time has not yet come. So constant justification, continual procrastination, little prioritization. It wasn't that these people were, not, were just doing nothing when they came back. They came back and they were living in paneled houses. You dwell in paneled houses. Now, I'm not about to stand up here and tell you that it's wrong to live in a house. Think about these people that have been carried off into captivity, have been there for so many years, and finally they come back. Who knows what the kind of living conditions they were living in when they were there. They finally come back. They're excited to be back in that, where they belong. I don't think that God expected them to just immediately start building the temple to the point where they didn't have anything to live in. The point was, though, they were living in paneled houses. Now, what does that mean? paneled houses. Most people say it's kind of like the idea of wainscoting. You need walls to live in, right? You need house, uh, walls to hold up the roof for your house so that you can be protected from the elements, protected from enemies. But walls can be just a simple, in our day and age, sheetrock, or in their day and age, maybe some sort of stucco or, or mud wall to, to keep the elements out. But they were going above and beyond just that, and they were doing things like wainscoting over here. It was decorative, where the wall would have been just fine, but now we put this wainscoting on top. Again, I'm not saying anything's wrong with our wainscoting here, right? But the idea is they, they were going to such degree to t make sure that their house looked so great and so wonderful, their own personal dwellings, that they were leaving the, house, the Lord's house undone. Constant justification, continual procrastination, little prioritization, some symptoms of apathy, so what do we do about it? There's a three-word kind of solution or suggestion or really imperative, but at least for our case, a, a solution for the problem here that we're going to find in verse number five. Notice what he says. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Number one, consider. The idea that apathy cannot be addressed until you stop and acknowledge it. Until you stop and acknowledge it. You know, so many times in our life, there are so many things that are distracting us. That podcast, that movie show, uh, that TV show, that movie, uh, our children's activities, our work, whatever it may be. And we never just stop and think about our lives and the way that we're living. That's the insidious nature of apathy is that we don't really care to address the things that we don't care about. And so we don't actually stop to think about them. 
And the situation for these people in that day was that they were busy doing the things that they shouldn't have been doing instead of doing the things that, were, that they were being left undone. And they didn't stop and think. They didn't stop and consider. They didn't just stop and evaluate what was going on in their lives. Psalm 119, verses 59 through 60, the psalmist said, I thought about my ways. I thought about my ways. And he, then said, he goes on to say, I made haste to follow after your precepts. As you think about that particular text, it, it's so simple. All it took for the psalmist was just thinking about it. Now, think about Luke chapter 15, verses 17 through 20 in the parable of the prodigal son. In his case, he had no choice but to think about it because that's all he had left to do. All his money had run out. He didn't have his, his iPhone anymore to scroll. He didn't have podcasts anymore to listen to. He was just sitting there wallowing in the pig's sty and all he could do was think. And you know what Jesus says? He came to himself. When he had come to himself, he thought, how many of my hired servants have bread and to spare? And he comes to a resolution to say, I will go home to my house and do what I should have done a long time ago, basically. Sometimes we just need to stop and think, evaluate. You know, there's a reason why we have New Year's resolutions. We shouldn't wait till the new year to really resolve to live a better life and consider our ways, to follow after our God. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number five, consider or examine yourself. Test yourself to make sure that you are in the faith. Consider, secondly, your, consider your ways. You know, I wonder if perhaps part of the reason why the temple had been left undone was because everyone was looking at each other and saying, well, I think it's his job, or that's his job. It's not my job after all, because, you know, my house is a, quite a bit further away from the job site. Or I have younger kids, and so I, I don't really have the time to, to really be messing with that. Or, you know, they have the skills. He's a mason. He's, he's a, you know, whatever job over here. He can, he, he's got horses. He can help with this particular task. I don't have those skills. The problem with apathy is instead of looking inwardly and considering my own ways, I like to look around and think about what other people's problems are, what they should be doing instead of what I should be doing. And so the solution is look at yourself, look inwardly, consider your ways, not being like the Pharisee of Luke chapter 18, who looked at the tax collector and, and said, I thank God that I'm not like other men, extortioners, adulterers. I, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I have. But the tax collector, he wouldn't even look, lift his eyes up to heaven and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Consider your ways. Evaluate your own life. Think about the apathetic things that you might be dealing with. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. The question should be asked, what fruit is being produced in my life? You know, sometimes we might look at our life and we might think, you know, nothing seems to be going my way. I've got all these problems, all these issues, all these difficulties, and yes, some of those things come as a product of circumstances that are out of our control because of decisions that other people have made. But you know, sometimes the problems that we're dealing with are because of decisions that we've made. Look at Haggai chapter one, verse number six. He says, you have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Now notice verse 10. 
Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains and on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. The point that God's making here through his prophet is you should have paid attention to notice that everything was going wrong for you because I wasn't allowing things to go right for you, because I wanted you to learn a lesson. You were putting money into bags, and it's as if there were holes in there, and the money was just falling out, and you couldn't find it and figure out what was happening to it. If there's something going on in your life like that, the question might be, where are you sowing your seeds? Because ultimately, the the point is, the, the, the real crux of the matter is, wherever we sow, is where we're going to reap. And if we're sowing to the flesh, think about Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 23, all we're going to reap are things of the flesh instead of sowing to the spirit and of spiritual things. Are you dealing with struggles and difficulties in your life, not just simply because of the product of circumstances of other people, but also because of the fact that you are sowing to the flesh? When we think about apathy, are you sowing to the flesh because you care more about the things of the flesh? It's a question to ask. Are you sowing to the flesh because you care more about the things of this world, of the temporary nature, of the physical body, than you do of a spiritual nature? Because if we'll just sow to the spirit, a successful life is a life that glorifies God and reaches heaven. Those are the things that really matter, not the things of this world. So acknowledging apathy, but consider next some motivation for those that are apathetic. Maybe you're struggling with this, or maybe you're wondering, how can I help those who just seem like they don't care about anything? Notice what happens. Some motivation for the apathetic, we see number one, that they heard the word of God preached. Notice verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. What God has done for us and what we hear about what God is to us will make everything matter to us. Here's what I mean. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the faith, I live, live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We sing that song. You know those words. You know that tune. What does it mean? It means that when I have Jesus living in my life, when he's the Lord of my life, everything that I do matters. Every choice that I make, every action that I go about doing and being engaged in is, con- is connected to my fa- the fact that God is reigning in my life. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. The purpose of my life is glorifying God. You want to get to the crux of the matter? If you don't hear anything else from the lesson this evening, hear this. You know why so many young people, young people listen to me, look up here, if there's any reason why you're struggling with apathy, why young people are struggling with apathy, why young people just don't care about what's going on in their life, it's because of this. It's because your purpose is, has, has been robbed from you. And you know what, where your purpose has been robbed from you, who, who it's been robbed from you by? It's being robbed from you by those of the evolutionary mindset and of the secular humanist mindset. You know why I say that? Because when you believe that you just came as a result of millions of years of an amoeba just happening happening to develop into you as a perfect human being that God created you as, you know what it means to you as someone that doesn't believe that God created you to be the way that you are? 
It means that you have no purpose, no reason for living, no direction. What does life even matter? But when we think about what Jesus does for us, what happens when Jesus is your Lord, every choice and every decision that you make is for the purpose of glorifying him, even when, Colossians 3 verse 23 You come to the long end of a list of all these different areas of our lives in which we are to be doing them as though they are to the Lord. Even when you might be a slave, what you are doing matters. You know, if there was ever something in your life, in someone's life that maybe didn't matter for them, it would have been a slave. Because everything that they were doing in their life was for someone else, on behalf of someone else, at someone else's bidding. But you know what Paul says to those slaves? He says, do it as to the Lord. Now, Paul's not condoning slavery to say as though it's right. What he's saying is, if in your life you are a slave and you do it heartily as to the Lord, what's going to happen is God's going to get the glory because people are going to look at you and think, why is he doing all of these things with all of his might? Whatever he's doing, he's doing to the glory of God. Why does all this matter to him so much, even though his life is pointless as though they might think? It's because their Lord is God. Their Lord is Jesus Christ. And whatever they do, they want God to get the glory. And so if you want to think about motivation for those that are apathetic, hear the word of God preached this evening, anytime. When you listen to it and you're reminded of what this life is all about, it's serving our master. It's glorifying him. It's why we talk about it every Sunday night. Because that's what this life is really about when we are Christians. Motivation for the apathetic, hearing God's word preached, but also fearing God's righteous wrath. Notice the second part of verse number 12. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Now when we think about the idea of fearing the Lord, it could be considered to be in reference to just a healthy dose of respect. That's possible. But it's also possible that it could be in reference to truly being in fear of the powerful nature of God. You think about Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. The idea that we are not to fear the one who can kill body, the body, but the one who can kill both or destroy both body and soul in hell. 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 through 8, Jesus is going to come in vengeance with flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know him and obey not the gospel of our Lord. You know, a motivation for doing what's right is not simply boiled down to fearing God's righteous wrath. We shouldn't just become a Christian because we're just afraid of God. That shouldn't be the ultimate motivation, but it is at least part of the motivation that God can punish us and will do so in his righteous judgment. And so they feared God's righteous wrath. They recognized he was powerful, but on the flip side, conversely, as you think about what John talked about this morning, notice what is said in the next verse. Motivation for the apathetic is not only fearing God's righteous wrath, but also believing God's promised blessings. What are the words that John talked about this morning? Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people saying, I am with you, says the Lord. If you think about Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 38, as you think about this great section of scripture, how could you not be motivated to do what's right, to be getting rid of those things that are apathetic in your life? And when you hear these words, What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for all of us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall separate us, verse 35, from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword or peril? 
Verse 37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am now persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Which is a long way of saying, back in Haggai 1 verse 12, I am with you, says the Lord. Confidence. Motivation for the apathetic, knowing that our God is with us. Now, sometimes we get really fired up, right? We pe- preach passionately. We, we hear God's word preached and we, we begin to rid ourselves of that apathy, but sometimes we relapse back to that apathy. Notice chapter 2 back in Haggai, what starts to happen. In the seventh month, on the first one, on the first of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw the temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? You know, they finally started rebuilding the temple. They finally started listening to God. And the prophet comes to them. And you know what he says? How many of you here used to see or have seen the temple, what it used to look like before it was destroyed? Think about some of the older men and women that would have been there in that day as they return. And now they're looking at what they're trying to rebuild and they're thinking, how are we ever going to get to the point of where it used to be? I want us to know that sometimes we can relapse to apathy by just simply remembering the good old days. Because you know why? Memories are often inconsistent with reality not only of the reality of what it used to be like, but also the expectations of us. I don't know that God fully expected that they were going to have rebuilt the temple to all of the perfect specifications that it was originally in that day, immediately on the first day. Because, you know, they were returning from captivity. How much did they have? What resources did they have? How much money? How were they going to do this? The point was they should have at least been trying. And they weren't doing that. And after a while, as you think back to Ezra chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, we find that those that were old were wailing and crying so loud so to the point that their cries could not be distinguished from the shouts of joy of the younger people for having returned home because they were up against this really difficult thing to rebuild the Lord's temple. And they were seeing once again, the place that they had been. And now they're looking at it and they're thinking, how are we ever going to get back to where it used to be? You know, I once had a deacon in the Lord's church tell me this, not here, but he said, you know, people these days, they're just not interested in the gospel anymore. I wish you could see what's been happening here over the last year, because we know with certainty that that's not the truth. But he was remembering the good old days, and ultimately he was probably one of the least uh, convicted individuals that at least on the outward outside of, of what I saw about evangelism because he didn't think that people were interested in the gospel any longer. He was remembering the good old days of things, the way things used to be. And here as you think about Haggai, they were in danger of relapsing to apathy if they started to only remember the things of the good old days. But not only that, losing sight of the coming days. In Haggai chapter 2, verses 4 through 9, we read this beautiful passage of what I believe is a reminder of these people that God had made a promise that Jesus was coming. Now, they didn't know exactly how all that was going to shake out, but if you look at Haggai chapter 2, verses 4 through 9, you see a picture of what is going to be the coming Savior 
and ultimately is going to be a promised kingdom, a kingdom in which all people will be able to come to it. And this temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. If these people would have just remembered what was prophesied about in Isaiah 2, that out of Zion will the word of the Lord go forth, and that people would eventually turn their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks and that people would lay down these weapons and they would not know war any longer and that all people would come together in this kingdom, whether background, whether their background is different or not. Or in Daniel chapter two, that ultimately in the days of the Roman kings, there would be a kingdom that would never be destroyed. And who ultimately comes in Luke chapter two is this Jesus who we've been talking about. Acts chapter two, the book of uh, of the hub of the Bible is sometimes called Acts chapter 2, where the church is established, the church is built, the church is first uh, established on that day of Pentecost. Then in Revelation chapter 2, those people should have been looking to the coming days of the kingdom and thought, there's still this promise out there. We ought not to relapse to apathy because we know that there's a great day coming. Now, the church has already been established. Those things, Jesus has already come. Those days are behind us. But you know what we do have to look forward to today is the hope of heaven. Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 10. You see chapter 2, chapter 2, chapter 2. Easy way to remember this here. Revelation chapter 2, verse number 10. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. We have the hope of heaven to look to, forward to those coming days. If we'll just keep our eyes focused on that prize, that reward, It'll keep us from relapsing to apathy. Also, finally, as you think about relapsing to apathy and the danger that was at, their, at stake here, if we find ourselves with activity without purity, we are in danger of relapsing to apathy. In verse number 11, the Lord of hosts asked the priest concerning the law, saying, if one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and with the edge he touches bread or stew, wine or oil or any food, will it become holy? And the priest answered and said, no. And Haggai said, if, it, if one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it become unclean? So the priest answered and said, it shall become unclean. So there's two questions. Does touching something with something that is holy make it holy? No. Does touching something that is unholy or touching something that is holy with something that is unholy make it unholy? Yes. Here's the point. These people were getting to work and they were doing what they were supposed to be doing physically in activity, but they didn't stop to think about the inside. They didn't stop to think about purifying themselves and their own hearts to the point where Haggai is warning them saying, if you just keep working this way and doing the things you're supposed to be doing without cleansing the inside, at some point you're going to start relapsing to apathy because you're going to ask the question, why am I even doing this anyway? Why does it really matter? Think about Matthew chapter 23, verses 26 and 27. Jesus, speaking of the Pharisees, says that they are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but full of dead men's bones. You know, we can clean up a tomb all we want. We can clean up that headstone all we want, but what's it really going to matter? What does it really matter? All inside is there is just dead men's bones. And that's the point here. Why does it really matter that we're building this holy temple for God if we're just living a life that is vile and impure and unlike our God. We're just going to start thinking, why are we even doing this? Why does it really even matter anymore? Don't do that unless you relapse to apathy. Some areas today as we close. Some areas to think about with regard to apathy. Is there apathy in your own personal holiness? 
Do you maybe sometimes give more attention to the looks of your outer man working out, thinking about physical activity to the point that your inner man lies in ruin? Consider your ways. Do you, in your marriage, are you so married to your job, to your hobbies, to maybe even sexual fulfillment that your marriage lies in ruin? Consider your ways. In the home, are you so concerned with the way that your physical dwelling looks and making sure that it's really nice and clean all the time or maybe you're improving it and doing all kinds of projects or renovating or whatever it may be to the point that your children are left in ruin? Consider your ways. What about in the church? Are you so concerned about church politics or the color of the carpet or who's making what decisions to the point that the weightier matters of the, of the law are neglected? leaving the church perhaps in ruins sometimes. Consider your ways. What about in the community? Are you so concerned about things of like the city council or the local sports team or the HOA bylaws or getting involved in the community for the sake of civic affairs to the point that you don't actually think about evangelizing those lost souls out there and the community continues to be lying in ruins? Consider your ways. This evening, I'd ask us as as we think about Numbers chapter 32, right before the children of Israel are about to enter into the land of Canaan, they've been in the wilderness wanderings for these 40 years, and they just defeat the Midianites in chapter 31. And Reuben and Gad, the tribes of Reuben and Gad, after having defeat these people, they look around, they think, man, this, this area, this could be good for our cattle. We'd just like to plop down right here and just stay right here. And so they say in verse number four, um, Verse number five, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servant as a possession. Do not take us over into the Jordan. Well, we'll just stay right here, Joshua, Moses. Why why do we have to go into Canaan? We, We like this just fine. Here's the response that is given. Moses said to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, shall your brethren go to war while you sit here idly by? So we think about apathy and the things that matter, particularly of a spiritual nature. We are in, brethren, a spiritual warfare. We are engaged in a spiritual warfare. And sometimes we are so apathetic about spiritual things, we only care about checking the box of just coming in here and sitting in a pew, that our brethren are going to war without us and they need us. Will you sit there idly by? while your brethren go to war. When we think about the song that we sing, here am I, send me, there are a need for workers in the kingdom. There are a need for people to get busy, to get active, stop being apathetic about things that really matter and start working for the Lord. This evening, maybe you're struggling with apathy, whether it be as a Christian, maybe struggling with whether or not you should be working as much as you should be for the kingdom, or maybe, maybe you've been putting off baptism for a long time. Maybe you're not a Christian yet and you have an apathy, cause yourself not to care as much as you should about spiritual things. Whatever it is, whatever your need is, we'd ask you to come as together we stand and as we sing.